What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Wednesday afternoon, and welcome to a very special episode of the Popcorn Talk Network's Action Movie Anatomy. Today, we are covering The Dark Knight, 2008's spectacular, is it even really a superhero movie? I mean, it involves a superhero, but feels a little more like a crime drama. This is one of my five favorite movies of all time. This is one of Andrew's five favorite movies of all time. We're going to break this whole thing for you down, guys. We'll see you in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! I'm dyslexic. Was, <laughs> and I was like this whole thing for you down, for guys. For you down, guys. I was like, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy yes. on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. Uh, wow, what an episode today. This, this is, is incredibly exciting. It's incredibly exciting. So, guys, we're doing The Dark Knight today. Uh, we cover action movies on the show. The Dark Knight's an action movie. Those movies that we cover on this show adhere to four basic rules. Rule number one, the hero is always someone who plays by their own rules. Um, Batman, of course, does. Yes. Um, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, things, beings, dogs, aliens, whatever in the room. And I would say, easily, the Joker's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's tactically brilliant. And he's doing it just because he wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. Nobody in the movie has that accent. No, I know. <laughs> I didn't get it. Was it Michael Caine you were trying to do? I was, like, going to not do one at all, and then I decided <laughs> I wanted to do one, and I just got lost in the middle of it. <laughs> Shit. Let's start um, over. Rule number three, <laughs> the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Jonas just said nice Kane impersonation. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a swing and a miss. Not on the Michael Kane impersonation, though it was a swing and a miss. On rule three, um, <laughs> rule three is a miss because Batman is a, is a billionaire, industrialist, philanthropist, inventor. Um, yeah, he's not police, military, political, mercenary, doesn't work for them. He, yeah, complete miss. Actually, he's a genius, but he's not an inventor, really. No. That's, that's Iron Man. And Iron Man, as I've said before, is the DC equivalent of Batman. He's the slightly less good version, who's a, an inventor and an alcoholic, as opposed to having his parents die. Yeah. Um, but they're the that same role so in the two universes. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I don't think there's really a way for us to argue with that meets rule three, but it definitely meets rule four, which is what this film contains the minimum of one explosion. There yes. are many explosions. A lot of in explosions in this movie. Um, so, guys, if you want to follow along with the conversation, Andrew's over here in the live chat. You can follow along on Twitter. We are at AMA Podcast on Twitter. Share your thoughts. You guys have been very involved this last week or two. I think a lot of people are very excited about this movie. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to follow us personally, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you guys can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter and Instagram as well. And, of course, here every Wednesday. Yeah, I'm not having a stroke, by the way. I just was like kind of burping while talking there, but trying to hold the burp in while talking. Then the burp went away. Look, see, this is a lot harder than you guys think it is. <laughs> um, so, guys, some context. We said from the very beginning that we were never going to do superhero movies on this show. There and was I, things we talked about. We did, and I always argued that if we were going to do any film, any movie in the superhero universe, this was probably the this and The Punisher yeah. with uh, Thomas Jane <laughs> were probably the only two that we could get away with. Well, I think, didn't you argue Batman Begins for a long time? I did argue Batman Begins for a long time, but with the whole, like, the gas and all that stuff, it just, like, this film is, like you said, yeah. this is just kind of a crime drama with yeah. some great action it's in it. It's basically just heat with Batman. Yeah, which, yeah. did you did you see... Um, what, the quotes? What, the opening sequence, how much it's referenced based yeah, on Yeah, and, like, you know, that Nolan made them watch Heat yeah, before the yeah. film and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's well documented that he's a massive fan of that movie yes. and that this movie is, it owes a lot to it. It feels, it, tonally, 
it has a lot of the same elements. The city, like yeah. the city, is like it feels like that gritty city that they give you in Heat. Yeah. Um, so the reason we decided to do this is because we recently made a list. It was a pretty long list of the movies that we were still interested in doing on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when we started, we made a list of forty or fifty movies that we thought kind of fit the bill. And as we've gone, the show's evolved. Um, we've we've covered things we never thought we would cover. We've done. Less of those original run movies than we thought we would by now. Yeah, I think doing eighty episodes. This is episode eighty. Yeah, I mean, the, yes, today is actually episode eighty, and I think the fact that we just did True Lies last week is kind of a testament to the fact that it has. We've done a lot less movies that we thought we were going to do originally. Yeah, definitely. And so I think we just sort of looked at the list and we were like, you know what? We who knows how long we do pop popcorn talks action movie anatomy. Like we we maybe we'll do it to episode two hundred, but we have no idea. The point is. We knew that there were certain movies we had to cover at some point. And, and if we, we didn't cover this... Yeah, we never did Dark Knight because we had... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some arbitrary rule when it's one of both of our five favorite movies of all time, has tons of action, and we talk about it all the time on the show, then who are we really doing the show for? It's our show. We're yeah. doing the show for us. We don't care. No. Yeah, no, we love, and, and we all know you guys love this movie. I mean, who doesn't love this movie? And as yeah. our audience, this movie is perfect for it. And I think... One of my favorite things about this film is the trailer. Absolutely. When this trailer came out, I remember I remember the very first trailer, it, it you didn't see the Joker, right? You just heard his laugh at the very end. Yes. Like the teaser. You're talking about the first one where um where he's like where where uh Bruce Wayne's in the bunker and he says at the line about like They've, they've they've taken it a step too far. Yeah. They push things, and he's like, "You hammered them without whatever." And exactly. Then you, right. That one. And it's like not that great of a teaser, but you were still excited, and then you hear the laugh at the end. Then you hear the laugh, and you're like, "Oh my god." Yeah, like you, you got chills when you heard the laugh, and it also that was the first time you had heard or seen anything that Heath Ledger had done with the role, other than some of the makeup, maybe. And yeah, there you, might have been a picture, but I mean, this is '08, so we were still we were in early stages of like social media uh, maelstrom, but it right. wasn't the same kind of thing. And I remember hearing that, and that was that moment for everyone where it was like, "Oh my God, Heath Ledger can do this!" Yeah, the laugh sounded awesome. Nobody, I mean, we'll we'll talk a lot about Heath Ledger in this episode, but there's there's definitely remembering the era that we were in and the period in time in his career that we were in before this movie came out um, you know I think there's definitely some revisionist history when people talk about Heath Ledger and who he was at that moment mm-hmm. uh, when this when he was announced as the guy that they cast and then what people expected before of course the trailer and then when that trailer that we're about to watch dropped and you saw him for the first time I mean let's just cue the trailer yeah, let's, let's do the trailer here Marissa oh my god oh actually this is uh I'm going to stop you here, Marissa, because this is actually uh, trailer one. So I, I, I shot you a link uh, in that email with the with the details. Um, it's This is the first trailer that always comes up, but it's actually trailer two for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this very specific one. We'll, we'll just keep talking about it for a second. Um, thank you so much, Marissa. Appreciate it. That's Marissa Serafini <laughs> in the booth, Mr. by the way. Serafini <laughs> in the booth, dealing with us and our own organization. Yeah. Um, she's you our producer and engineer today. Um, Marissa, do you love this movie? You know, I really do. I mean, I enjoy Christopher Nolan. He's a great director. Um, I personally have issues with Christian Bale, but... Fair. A lot of people overall, do. A lot of people do. This is a very solid movie all through. 
And your your issues with Christian Bale don't actually come from his outburst during Terminator, correct? Or Not just that one. Right. If you guys haven't seen that clip or heard that clip, that's the one. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's let's do this first. Thanks, Marissa. You've changed things. Forever. Forever. There's no going back. There's no going back. See to them. Oh They're yeah, just it was a freak. This. Like me. Just that alone. <laughs> that could have been the end of the trailer. Yeah. You know? I watched but it gets better. 150 oh, yeah. times. Easily. Nothing. No name. No other alias. Clothing is custom. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. Evening, Commissioner. Oh, God. It's just, like, terrifying. Yes. Why so serious? Like, this is one of the greatest trailers of all time. This could be the greatest trailer of all time. People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face. The right choice. Gotham needs you. A little fight in here. I like that. Then you're gonna love me. Now that's more like it, Miss Wayne. All part of the plan. Come on, help me! So just ridiculously awesome. Yeah. Let's put a smile on that face. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. Like I, I'm, I. Yeah. yeah. I want to watch it like right now. Or actually, I just want to watch that trailer like a hundred more times. I, so when this trailer came out, um, Endure. I'm going to redeem myself yeah. by the end of this that episode. That was better. That yeah. was better. You were warmer. You're in orange zone now. Um, I told you, I used to have this roommate, and he was just as obsessed with it as I was. And I remember that trailer coming out. And this was in the days when uh, it wasn't like we all had iPhones. We could just stream a trailer on our phone right. and watch it whenever we wanted. It was like you would have to watch it on like the iTunes store or something like that or YouTube. Uh, and I remember the trailer coming out, and I downloaded the trailer. Onto like my iTunes on my computer, I like had the actual large one and a half gig trailer on my computer. Oh, you so that I could, like, okay. So I could Anytime. watch it in HD on my computer without an internet connection. Like, and I, I swear to God, I watched the trailer 150 times. Like, oh, easy. Yeah, like I could quote it. We probably both could just quote it like line <laughs> for line. Definitely, and I think that as far as trailers go, when we when we did our inter or our. Uh, which episode was it when we did the the, the trailer trailers episode? It might have been like Crimson Tide. No, he just referenced Crimson Tide. It was a newer one. Um, either way, there was an episode we did where we covered the greatest trailers of all time, and Interstellar was in there, and you know the Superman uh, Donna Steele was or Man of Steel. Oh, it was Star Trek. That's what it was. Star Trek, right? Star, Star Trek, Trek was in there. Yeah, it's amazing. And Dark Knight. Th- those are like five of the greatest trailers. Congo, of all time. Congo, Congo, Congo. The Lost City of Z. <laughs> Snake Eyes. <laughs> All right, guys, so uh, the first thing we're going to do after watching the trailer now is we're going to hop right into our thesis statement, and Ben, why don't you describe what thesis statement is? Thesis statement is uh, <clears throat> is, your, is your big, bold thought about the movie, so you know, it's, your, it's kind of your talking point. You're at a party, you're like, I know movies. Somebody brings up this movie that you like, and you're like, well, let me tell you about this movie. Let me tell you the thing that's going to start this conversation that somebody you want to kind of impress on us, and they're going to be like, oh my God, that's a great point. It's kind of your thing you stand on. So we, we like to come up with one of these. It's a very bold, big, and strong 
should not be loose. It should be kind of uh, almost like hyperbolic in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I actually want to hop in first with an audience. Uh, <clears throat> it's not their thesis statement, but it's a point that they're making saying that this film is highly overrated. It's a very overrated film. And I don't like when people just say things like that. Mm. But I, I really do appreciate when they back it up with a reason. Okay. It, you know, it's, yep. that's the whole point of a thesis statement. So you're always entitled to your own opinion, and if you think it's overrated, that's great. And what his his uh, this is Future Trunk saying, he loved the movie, but then I became a hardcore comic book nerd and then saw Affleck as Batman, and he's his true Batman. And I have heard that a lot of people's biggest problem with this trilogy is Christian Bale as Batman. So um, just just a quick piece of context here, guys. We have a, a, a jam-packed episode today with a lot to talk about, and I guarantee some of the common questions that come up about this movie, the final 40 minutes, Batman as Christian Bale, the Absolutely. importance of Ledger as Joker, we will cover all of them in various segments. Uh, we are we have some, some great AMA questions of the day at the end of the episode today. Uh, we'll probably talk about a few throughout the episode and then cover the last ones in the normal section we do that, but we're doing more than one question today, mm-hmm. and a lot of those questions do, in fact, reference some of the things people like to bring up. So it's a great point you ask is this movie overrated do you think it's overrated we, we will have will that discussion later absolutely uh do you want to go your thesis first yes absolutely so you know i watched this movie yesterday and it was i mean probably the 30th time i've seen it or something like that it's been a couple years i think since i had watched it the whole way through yeah where you sit down and watch it beginning to end yeah this i mean again this is a this is a movie that came out in an era and a, and a moment in both of our lives where we both had a lot of, of free time and energy to expend on watching movies and talking about movies. Yes. Not in a work capacity, just in a... I was going to say, it's, different, it's very different from now. Yeah, you Not can just all. sort of be obsessed with something in a, in a different way completely. So uh, this movie also was sort of a zeitgeist film. Like, when it came out, it was a talking point for a solid two years for multiple reasons. Yes. I mean, everything from the posthumous Oscar to the massive financial success of the film to everyone dressing up as the Joker for Halloween for his voice being the most recreated, re-distributed yeah. uh, voice kind in the of, world. Kind of launching Nolan as like the preeminent director of our time. Um, there was a lot of things that happened with this movie. And so when you think about it and you watch it again now, looking back at everything that's happened since, you have to really separate everything that you experienced all of the sort of the cultural shift towards superhero films in the last eight years and then really just the movie and the thing that i realized when i watched this movie was that as great as this movie is as much as i love this movie here's my thesis here it comes never in history has a film's legacy owed so much to one specific performance than the dark knight never has any film any film's legacy owed as much to a performance by an actor than this film ever in the history of movies huh I'm gonna say this movie's relevance as crazy as this sounds is tied over 90% to Heath Ledger as Joker and I know that's crazy because this movie's fucking fantastic you know it's true because I'm sitting here and I want to argue that immediately because that's what I like to do with you is argue with you Um, but it is a very valid point and the first thing that popped in my head was Gladiator and the reason that Gladiator popped in my head is because of all the research we did on it and all the stuff behind it, the writing and the problems that were going on on set. But at the end of the day, Commodus is still one of the greatest villains ever, alongside Russell Crowe as one of the greatest heroes ever. And where, the fact that Russell Crowe had a very significant career with a lot of very memorable films surrounding that. Ridley Scott had already been known as one of the greatest action directors of our generation, so... I think I agree. I think that's a really good thesis. It's just like, I, you can come up with <clears throat> so many great performances, and you can come up with so many great films that there's, feature unbelievable roles. There's but, always something else. But this movie, really, when you think about it, 
and and the reason at the I, time you guys got to remember at the time that it came out, uh, Nolan had only done uh, four other films, right? Yeah, I mean it was it was following Memento. He had done Begins. Batman Begins. He had done Insomnia. Okay, so yeah, uh, yeah, and I uh, no, and he had also done uh, Prestige between Begins and this. Right, it came out just before yeah. this. Yes, uh, but so what? But so the reason I'll say that, and and again, guys, the most obvious talking point of this episode is Heath Ledger is the Joker. I think everybody knows that. Hopkins and the Edge. Yeah, great. Yeah, great <laughs> Charles Morse, fantastic. Um, and I mean, again, like Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs. Like there's there are roles that are unbelievable. That movie won Best Picture, for the record. Like the yeah. reason that, that I say that about this movie is that you think about anything else contextually about this movie and how it's aged and how people will remember this trilogy. We live in a time now where superhero movies come out by the half dozen a year. Yeah. I mean, and they're good. And we get great ones all the time. And the, the effects are bigger and the stunts are bigger and the explosions are bigger. People love the The hottest actors get the roles. Like, you're talking about an all-time performance by an actor who had shown once ever on the grandest scale that he could do something dramatic. He had gotten one Oscar nomination, and aside from that, was mm-hmm. essentially an art house indie actor. Yeah, not even though. He was an art house. He was a pretty boy trying to prove that he could be an art house indie actor, trying to prove that he could be a leading man for Oscar winning movies. Yeah. That's what he was doing. I became obsessed with Heath Ledger after he died. I already was pretty obsessed with him once I learned that he was the Joker. Yeah. Because I was completely enraged at first. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck are you doing putting this pretty boy in? I know he can act. Right. Don't get me wrong. I know he can act, but he's not the Joker. Right. Then I heard the first trailer and I heard the laugh. Yep. Then I was like, okay, that's a laugh. That's a laugh that has so much behind it yeah. that no normal actor could do that. I became obsessed with him and his career path. And guys, I think if you love this movie and you really respect Heath Ledger, just go read about the dude if you haven't already. He's he's cool. He's a really cool guy and he's he's not... He didn't want to take his looks and ride that. He right. wanted to ride art and things that really mattered, which is why I think... I mean, this is one of the greatest performances we've ever seen. Yep. Which is going to go right into my thesis that Heath Ledger dying was the greatest and the worst thing to happen to this trilogy and this Mm. film. And there's a lot of points behind this. I think... I want to see see how I can bring in this question as well. The first point is, is that this is the first time a comic book movie got a real, like one of the premier Oscar nods. A supporting actor nod. It was the first time showing that these movies aren't just superhero comic book movies. These are real, great movies. People often reference this movie and WALL-E coming out the same year as the reason the Academy went from five to ten nominations because this movie didn't get a Best Picture nomination. Both of them didn't get a Best Picture nod, and, and that's why exactly why they expanded it. Also, I think that Heath Ledger dying hurt this franchise a lot because he was supposed to be in the next film. He was supposed to be in court, and that's when Harvey Dent was supposed to get introduced. So, I'm going to jump ahead real quick to Octane Fetty's question. Would this movie have been better if it was shorter and without the Harvey Dent two-faced transformation? Yeah. Definitely. It, it would have been, because it wasn't supposed to be in this movie. Heath Ledger dying, them having to do that and change it and make this whole... It, it's forced. It's forced into the film. Goyer's original copy of this film didn't have that in it. And Heath Ledger dying and the way that things changed made it so that this film had to have... Two-Face as, like, a secondary thought. It's a fall guy for the third movie. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because, again, you watch this movie and, and all you end up doing when we watch these movies is you, you appreciate what you appreciate and you look for holes because you something you've loved and you're, you're critically analyzing the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, never in my experience watching this movie had I felt as much as this time that the Two-Face and the Aaron Eckert storyline, it, it really... It doesn't ruin it, but the final 40 minutes of this movie, I, like... 
did I barely paid attention to it. I like I was zoned out. I'd seen it so many times, yeah. so it's not like I missed anything. But I just it's not compelling. It's not compelling at all. The moment that the Joker says his last last line is all it needs is a little push and his laugh. Yeah. If the movie were were to end there or some like you know, like a quick tie up about Bruce and, and the thirty minutes leading up to that though, because all the two face stuff, like it's and even God love him. I love Aaron Eckhart, but like he's not very good as Two Face. He's not. And the best part about Two Face is his scene with the Joker. Yeah. In the hospital room. Yeah. That's it. He barely talks. Uh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, I have more points on this. I don't want to just ramble on, but I, I do think that it is the greatest and worst thing to happen in this trilogy, and also to comic book movies, because this is showing you that they can be cut from a different cloth. They can be Oscar-winning, best picture-nominated, best picture-winning films. And you can do it with $185 million. S- Civil War's budget is a billion a between billion the dollars? two movies. It's a oh, billion dollars. You, you mean uh, not Civil War. Or uh, Infinity War. Infinity Excuse Wars. me. Yeah. It's a billion dollars. Yeah. This movie is 185 Yeah. You know? 100%. So, guys, those are our thesis statements. Jump in if you want to share your big thoughts as well. There's a lot of big thoughts about this movie. Much much has been discussed about it. So if you have something you want to share and you want to back it up in the chat, um, feel free to do it. Uh, the, the question, again, by Octane Freddy, I appreciate you contributing that and and definitely my answer is that yes this movie would have been better without it it i don't Mm -hmm. know that that's an easy fix i don't know you can snap your fingers and it's kind of like we we reference heat a lot heat is the um diagram for this movie in a lot of ways right like people will often compare the two and heat's the same way heat's 25 minutes too long what would i cut from heat if i was gonna make that movie shorter i'm not sure that's the issue i've seen heat the same number of times it's also in my top five and it's hard to say. With this movie, if you cut the Two-Face stuff or you cut some of the stuff with the fairies, I, I mean, you have to replace it with something. There has to be a different way to wrap things up, and I'm not sure that there's an easy fix. Yeah, I mean, we can sit here and say, oh, this isn't good, and, and we wish it was different, but it's still a phenomenal movie. It's one of the best movies ever made, and it doesn't do a huge disservice to the film, but the fact that the Joker is so good and then taken out for 40 minutes... That's the problem. Right. Yeah, well, and, and let's let's move on to our next section of the show, because I think I have a sneaking suspicion that we're both going to reference something Joker-related here. I'm sure we will. Um, guys, this is called Fist Pump Moment, and uh, if you have watched the show before or listened to the show before, you know this is that moment in the movie something happens, and you're just like, this is awesome! Oh, my God! I get to watch the rest of this movie right now? You want to call your buddy and be like, hey, you got to turn this on. Go to this, go to this point. It's just incredible. And... Uh, this movie has a ton of them, so uh, it can be anything. It can be the title music, it can be a, a certain line, a look by a character, the music, anything. Uh, so let's get into fist pump moment. Do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, I think it's when they're out there and he's like, What one man can do, another can do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so my whole fist pump is a scene, essentially. Because there's so much in there. There's like my favorite line in there. It's all combined. It's got to be the same as mine. It's when he meets the gangsters. Oh, no, go ahead. No, that's, so, mine is when he meets the gangsters. The yeah. first time you see him, every line of dialogue he has is fantastic. My favorite line, I don't, I'm not going to say it, but my fist pump is, you want to see a magic trick. When I was in theaters, and uh-huh. he, like, sticks the thing in the table, and you're, he's, like, doing his thing, you're just, like, what is going to happen? Yeah. And the guy walks over, and he's, like, gone. Gone. I just looked over at my roommate. I was, like, holy shit. Yeah. That was fucking amazing. And it's so subtle and so smart. Yeah. And like so brutal. Yeah. That it was just like, oh my God. This it's is fu- everything I wanted. It's funny because um you rarely would use the phrase delighted when describing yourself watching a movie. Like it's such yeah. a strange but like elation. Like watching the movie, I had the same experience. I remember that happening, and then I remember like the next day recounting it like 
like it was a date with a girl right. was like that I like was in love just like head over heels for like oh my god and then recounting each scene <laughs> yeah. each time Joker was on screen each each thing talking about it with my buddy oh and that fucking guy by the way that my buddy that used his mom owned a movie theater and he didn't want to he didn't want to like tell me he saw it two weeks before it came out oh my gosh and he kept pretending like he hadn't seen it to not ruin it for me and then I finally told him he was like yeah I saw it two weeks ago I was like oh, you saw you bitch <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so that moment I remember specifically the next day being like I like I just had this stupid grin yeah. on my face all uh-huh. day so that is if I had to pick one fist pump moment there's so many that is my single fist pump yeah, my fist bump moment... Okay, so it's a combination of two things. Hans Zimmer does this incredible thing with his score. It's a great score. But the sound that he created for Joker, for his scenes, is one of my favorite things I've ever heard uh, sonically in any movie. It's yeah. like it's so fitting to a character, and it's also the, the first sound you hear when this movie opens. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and I think... I seem to remember reading about this at one point, um, but it's like... It's like piano wire, like being like like a quarter or a coin or something being like slowly against piano wire, yeah. and it creates this high pitched like squeak, um, and it's like it's just eerie and kind of frightening and like dark, and so that when that starts playing in the in the interrogation scene with Batman, mm. and it's like midway through when he realizes that he has Rachel and Harvey, um, and he smashes his head against the fucking glass, yeah. Um, that's like that whole sequence is my fist pump that whole interrogation the smash it's just when he's laughing as he keeps hitting him um all your strength and all your training it's just like it gives it that's a real fist pump it's like yes this is so cool and and, and what's so great about that scene too is you watch batman get brought down to his level yeah you see the man the dark knight break down and lose his cool that is awesome. What's great about that scene too is Heath Ledger was like, "Just do it. Yeah, do all of it. Yeah. Don't hold back. Hit me as hard as you can. Yeah, I want it to be real." And he did, which is, and you saw. Yeah, it was real. It looks very. Does he real. really smash his head against the glass? He does all of it. But I, the glass must have been rigged in some. Oh, way. all of, yeah. Of yeah. course, they're never gonna have real glass in that stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah bleeding, right. cutting. Yes. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, so those are our two fist pumps, guys. If you have any, you can feel free to throw them in the chat, and I'll shout them out. Uh, what should we move on to? Let's where move to Star Profiles. Okay. Yeah, where these guys are at in their careers and this movie came out. So this is a very interesting place to go. Um, so we never got to see, obviously, what happened after this movie with Ledger, but with Bale. So he had been in The Prestige in 06, which is really, really, really fine. That's I a great movie. I can't believe I saw it for the first time this year. Prestige? Yeah. Really? I really had never watched it. The Illusionist and The Prestige, I missed both of them. I watched The Illusionist like two years ago, and I just watched The Prestige this year. Did you not tell me you saw it this year because we had talked about it so many times? I, I felt like I told you that I didn't I, I didn't see it. I think what I'd said is I think I had seen it, but I wasn't sure. Right. Like, I'd watched it in college with my yeah. buddies, but then I went and watched it from beginning to end, and I was like, no, I hadn't seen this. It's so good. It's really good. It's like, it's probably my second favorite Nolan movie behind Dark Knight. And Nolan's casting is just... It's fantastic. Well, because I always reference the one, the one uh, Hugh Jackman scream when he's oh. when he's reading the he's reading the novel on the train and he gets to the point and it like cuts off. And he's like, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah. So uh, the Prestige was 06. 310 to Yuma is 07. I'm not there is 07. Have you seen I'm not there? Uh, what's that? 
I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I've seen it. Yeah, it was when I was working at Blockbuster. It came yeah. out. I don't really remember it all. It's the Bob it's Dylan cool, movie. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty badass movie. It's got this whole crazy, interesting cast, and it's like Bob Dylan through the ages played by... Different uh, actors. Yeah, like they take the cover of one of his albums, and uh, they take the characters that are on the cover of that album, and Ledger plays one of those characters. Uh-huh. It's it's a pretty interesting movie. It's got a really crazy cast. Well, like, so does Bale, right? Yeah, yeah, Bale's in it, and yeah. Kate Blanchett plays Bob Dylan at one point. Um <laughs> I remember that. I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. So that's what Christian Bale was doing. Um, but this movie came out, and I believe, unless I'm mistaken, uh, Terminator Salvation's also 2008. I think it's like 2008 or 2009. Yeah. It's like we're right in here was like the peak oversaturation Bale era. Yeah, I think Terminator was kind of that. Terminator was the definition of, like, this is too much now. Because 310's good, and he was, like, really, you know, he was, like, doing very cool things. And then like, Batman came out, obviously, and he had like, the biggest summer of anybody. Right. And then the next couple years, it was, like, uh, the next Batman movie, also Terminator, and there's, like, at least something else and you in could there. Even, even then, the, the, we referenced the Terminator freak out earlier. You could just probably hear the dude's overworked. He was doing too much. He was, he was trying, he was, like, the Sam Worthington effect was taking yeah. place over someone who didn't need to do it. He'd been famous for 20 years already. Yeah, and so he's kind of, uh, now he's sort of rebounded back into... Um, Super, super, super incredible actor with like tons because he won the Oscar for yeah. for the fighter a few years later. Um, so that's sort of bail and and the freak out we're talking about, guys. For those of you that don't remember, on set for Terminator Salvation, one of his uh, his lighting guys like walked through the back of a scene or something like that, and he flipped out he and somebody recorded the audio. It. Yeah, and he screams at the guy for like a solid five to ten minutes, um, and it's it's just gross. It's like totally. It's not so gross that you're like. I've never gotten pissed about something that I care about. It's like one yeah. of those things, like, if you've ever been on a sports team and, like, the, you know, tensions are heated and you guys start yelling at each other, like, it's kind of like that, except it's very disrespectful because you're the multi-million dollar superstar. Exactly. And the other guy's running lights. Whereas that kind of thing happens on set all day between the lighting designer and, and, like, one of the guys setting the lights. You know, like, that's the kind of shit that happens when you're working your ass off on a film that is supposed to be one of the biggest films of all time. Uh, Terminator did not end up being that, but... I get it. Yeah. I understand the dude, and I think we all understand. Even though, like you said, it's gross, shit happens. Yeah, it's definitely overboard. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, and it was absolutely. very bad for him. I mean, it was it that went viral and in a in a bad way. Oh, real um, quick, uh, we got a couple fist pumps. We got the ambient music that plays when Joker uh, tilts his head after um, shooting the guy in the bank. Yeah, like when he shoots him, he just kind of looks at him. And then we've got the burning the pile of cash is awesome. It's an awesome one. Yeah, I love his throw when he yeah. hits Lau in the face. Yeah. It's like such a perfect throw. Yeah, uh, the hospital walk off dressed up as the nurse awesome. with the bomb yep. that didn't initially go off. And then uh, they said he can list more, but they're done. Okay, so anyway, back to uh, back to where we were. So that's bail, right? Now, if you switch over to Ledger, this is what we were saying, and, and I was just before we turned the cameras on, I was kind of going into this, but Heath Ledger, uh, first and most notably, uh, had some stuff go on in Australia. He was he was like a like a big like he was like a soap star in Australia, I yeah. think. And then he came over to the states. Um, Ten things I hate about you is one of the early ones. Yes. Then uh, his role in The Patriot. Is is well noted. People love that role. And we then got he, a Knight's Tale, a Knight's Tale, and then he's got the role in Monsters Ball, which I yes. think is two thousand one, and he plays like the hated son, like you know, alcoholic father, or whatever. And I think he commits suicide in the movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I haven't seen it since it was out. But then there's a string of movies that happened between two thousand one and two thousand six. Uh, everything from like Ned Kelly, I believe mm-hmm. he's in. Like he's in a bunch of smaller stuff. And he's kind of going about trying to make his name as a dramatic guy, trying to lose that pretty boy image. And 
he was definitely uh, showing up and people were noticing. And then, of course, Brokeback Mountain in 2006 is the big breakout. Ang Lee's movie about two closeted cowboys that have this like long-running love affair. And for those of you that haven't seen it or have some prejudice against it because of the subject matter, amazing Watch movie. It. Yeah, a lot of times happened. A lot of time has passed since that movie's come out. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great movie. I, I love that movie, and both Hall and Ledger are great. They both turn in great performances. He gets, obviously, the more complex character, which is why he gets the Oscar nod for that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe Hall got one. I, I think it was just Ledger. I think it was as well. And um, I also think, was that, was 06 like that weird year where Crash won the Best Picture, but Ang Lee won Best Director for Brokeback? I believe so. I think that's what happened, that right? That sounds correct, yeah, because I, I, know, I know Crash won. It was like definitely one of those weird years where like that almost never happens, the, the picture-director split. But uh, Ledger's phenomenal, and his role as Ennis Del Mar is this very quiet, kind of Bale-esque performance in some ways. It's like a very Christian Bale thing to do, be super quiet and mumbly. Yeah, I mean, and, he's, there, he's just got so much inner turmoil just brewing inside of him the whole film. It, it, you can always feel feel it when you see him like even just the way he talks yeah it's like a guy that can't speak comfortably yeah he's kind of he kind of mumbles yeah yeah why don't you why don't you just leave me yeah Yeah, that scene when they first come off the mountain and he goes into that tunnel and and, uh, jack drives away Mm -hmm. and he like starts like fucking i think he's like hitting the wall or maybe he's hitting himself he's freaking out like it's just a fucking great movie anyway point is that was the big thing in 06, and people noticed, but of course, because of the subject matter, that's not going to get the kind of widespread worldwide attention mm-hmm. that The Dark Knight would get. So when he was announced then as Joker, it was kind of like, the only thing we really have is this quiet, closeted cowboy. Right. And then a bunch a of art house boy. movies. Yeah. And, and pretty boy movies. And and they originally met with him during filmings of Batman Begins, uh, yeah. Bale and Nolan, and were like, no. You are not the guy. You're not even close to what he we want. He didn't think he he didn't think he was. I didn't think he was either. No, yeah. And and then what happened was when they, well we'll get into that with production. But basically, what the end of that long story is, it came back to it. Other people had tried it out. People were terrified to be the Joker, right? Because it's so much Jack. weight. Because of Jack, because he did such a great job. And Nolan's final response when people asked why he did it was because he's fearless, right? And you see in this role that he was clearly fearless in making those bold choices. Yeah, he took on he took on so much and, and did such a crazy job with it. But um, we were talking about where do you remember where you were when he died? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because somebody like when Robin Williams died, um, even like James Gandolfini, for instance. Yeah, Gandolfini, who had, had you know been Tony Soprano, had been this incredible role for like seven years or something. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. David Bowie, Prince. All these... I remember each of these. It's weird because I remember Ledger dying. I know exactly where I was. But at the time when it happened, I paused for like two minutes Mm -hmm. and then went back to what I was doing. Because if you really think about it, at that moment, he was a guy that we all knew was going to be Joker. He had had one role people had paid attention to. And aside from that, it was like... He was this kind of like I don't know what this he guy was up is. and coming. He was he was like Ryan Gosling like bef- like, five like when years the Notebook ago. came out. Like that's who he was. Yeah, like, he I was guess a guy probably... that had done something that caught a bunch of attention, but we we didn't really give him a chance yet. I'm trying to think. Gosling, oh four. It would probably be more like a couple years later, right? Like maybe like right before Half Nelson or right around Half Nelson. Well, I think Half Nelson is the is the that's, is the broke back. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. so maybe maybe it would have been like him dying after getting the the nomination for Half Nelson. Yeah, like, exactly. Something this, like that. And 
like I said, I became obsessed with him. So when it, I was sitting there, I'd, I'd waken up and I think I took my dog on a walk and I came and I got in my computer um, and I sat down and it was the first thing I saw and I think it was Facebook and I just sat there and I couldn't believe it. And I remember I just was like, Google everything, news, everything I could read about it to see if it was true or if, it yeah. was, if he was actually dead, if there was any way that he, and I was, I just sat there for like two hours just like researching it was crazy and what's wild is that as as much as that was like a moment and then the next day people were like wow well it's, i can't i can't believe the movie i can't what did he finish the scenes they guaranteed that he had shot all of the scenes a year later when he's winning all the oscars posthumously he became this figure mm-hmm. in a in a way nobody ever could have imagined that he would have at the time he died it was just not on our radar that this was going to be as great as it was and as as iconic. It yeah. was iconic for so many reasons. This might be the most iconic role I'll ever see in film in my life that came out and was made when I was alive. Yeah, maybe. You know, you know what I mean? Like, the other roles that they talk about that really stick with you is like Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, but I didn't watch that in theaters. Right. You know, like, there's there's a few other roles out there. You know, Javier Bardem in No Country is, is amazing, but it's not in the same way. And it's because, it's be, that's what that was with my thesis, why. It's because <clears throat> of the prominence of the franchise and of the characters and of the companies and now the storm of superhero movies that have happened since. It's just, this is this exists in a whole different space than it ever could have yeah. when they were developing in 07. And that's part of my thesis as well, saying that this is also, uh, it hurts other superhero movies. Because, I'll be honest, man, my, my thesis was going to be that this is the greatest superhero film ever made and ever will be made. But it's just too obvious and too on the nose, right? It's too obvious and too the on the nose. Thought, yeah. But at the same time, these superhero movies are good. They're getting better. Yeah. Um... I just don't think you can ever have one this good ever again. Like even I think Wolverine is an attempt to have one that's like serious yeah. and dark and real, but there's no way. It's not directed by Nolan and we'll, written by him. We'll definitely uh, circle back to that one a little later. Yeah. Um, but let's let's continue moving into production development and the people behind this movie. Um, so you mentioned this earlier, but this is really cool. In the first four days of scheduled shooting, they didn't actually roll any film. Right. Um, Nolan actually screened eight movies for the cast and crew over two day, over four days. Yeah, right? two movies a day, and that was your job for the first four days of filming. So it was Heat, Cat People, Citizen Kane, the original King Kong, Batman Begins, Black Sunday, Clockwork Orange, and Statlag Seventeen. And unless I'm mistaken, um, we we wrote down the last time we covered Nolan. I believe it's here. His ten favorite movies in that list. I thought Stalag 17 maybe was one of his favorite movies of all time. Um, anything by Stanley Kubrick, so Clockwork Orange is in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess I don't see I don't see Stalag 17. I thought maybe that was one of them. But uh, yeah, I think that's such a cool approach, you know? And like we said, Heat's one of the movies that he makes everybody watch, so... Yeah, I love that, because when you have someone that's that visionary, that, that, that knows exactly what they want, you know, the Camerons, the Spielbergs, the Nolans of the world, this is how he wants to start his production. He's got the biggest stars in the world on the biggest film in the world, and he's like, we're going to take four days and we're going to watch movies. That's right. it. Because it's important. And as you can see, it helped. It worked. Yeah, absolutely. Something I want to show really quickly before we let's just dive into all the people that made it when yes. we're so close to Ledger is this crazy interview. Um, this kind of surfaced a couple of years ago, and it's an interview with Tom Waits from 1979. And it's young Tom Waits. And when you hear the voice, you'll understand why we're bringing yeah. it up. It's hard to imagine that he didn't draw a lot of his inspiration for the character from this interview. Let's go ahead and cue it up. I got here last night. 
Uh, I was on the plane uh, from Paris for about uh, 22 hours. Mm -hmm. It was a fascinating flight. <laughs> and, uh, what do you do for 22 hours on the flight? Do you have ways of entertaining yourself? Or? Well, they show movies that are not a big success anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> they put them on the planes. You want these? Is this what you're looking for? Thank you. <laughs> All right, we can we, yeah, we, we can cut it. it. Thanks, Marcel. If, if you've never seen that before, it's uncanny. Yeah, it is impossible to to deny inspiration from a that interview. And those on audio, I can't imagine what you just experienced because not even seeing it, but just listening to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. So I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of legend that's associated with this role, and I'm sure we'll continue to touch on it some more. But um, uh, while we're in star profiles, real quick, can we just talk about Gary Oldman? Just oh, sure. for a second, because Ben and I have, have... I think you were maybe the first person to ever say this to me. Gary Oldman is the greatest Gordon of all time, and he's one of the best parts of the entire trilogy. Well, what I've often said, because there's not so many Gordons to pay attention to that I think it would be so hard to even... Right. Just, you know, I, what I've often said is that I think he's the most accurate representation of a comic book character in the franchise he's mm -hmm. he feels and looks and sounds and acts the way you would just assume gordon the look is great did i mean if you've ever if anybody here's listening has ever read batman year one which is like maybe my favorite batman comic or even possibly my favorite comic book of all time it's just dead on i mean it's like it's just exactly what you imagine he would sound like. And there's nothing better than watching someone who you know is one of the greatest actors of all time. And his his specialty is being a fucking psycho. That is what Gary Oldman is known for, is losing it better than anyone else. Yeah. To play such a grounded, level-headed, almost like bumbling character sometimes yeah. is just brilliant. I'll tell a quick story here. I've told it on the cast before, but it's been a little while and it's specifically relevant now. Um, there was an interview that Aaron Eckhart did on the Chris Hardwick Nerdist podcast that I listened to, I remember, a couple years ago. And he's recalling his experience working on this film. And he's being asked about working around Heath and, and just sort of watching him work. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm so lucky to be on set. You know, I did th he had done Thank You for Smoking a couple years earlier, so he was kind of on people's radar. But mm -hmm. compared to, obviously, Oldman, he was you know, a different class of actor at that time. And he's like, I'm just sort of standing around watching everybody work and... I'm watching Gary Oldman, who's one of the great actors of all time, and I'm watching him as he watches Heath Ledger work. And he's like, and the look on Oldman's face, yeah. and the kind of appreciation that I could see coming from him as he watched, was uncanny. And he was like, and that's really where you knew you were watching something that was transcendent. Um, Sir Michael Caine yeah. had never met Heath Ledger before in his life. Yeah. And during the party scene, the fundraiser was the first time he ever met him. Sir Michael Caine forgot his lines because he was so terrified of Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Yeah. That is how good he was. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to production. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is good. This is good. So uh, in the casting for this film, um, Katie Holmes was offered the part. God. She was offered the part. I I always thought that she had, uh, that, that they didn't want her back. That's, yeah, no, that's... it was, she turned it down because of, it was because of, it was because of Scientology, right? I'm not sure about that, but I know that instead she opted to co-star with Diane Keaton and Queen Latifah in Mad Money that year instead. <laughs> I remember seeing that box as well when I was working at Blockbuster. Probably um, the biggest misstep in someone's career. This is worse than Will Smith turning down Neo on The Matrix. Yeah. 
Because Will Smith still has a fine career. Katie Holmes is no one anymore. Yeah, she did Mad Money. She did Mad Money. <laughs> um, so uh, this movie is written by Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan, and David S. Goyer. Yep. So Christopher Nolan, we've talked about at length. We'll talk about him in a minute a bit more with direction. His brother, Jonathan Nolan, has really uh, done a great job here over the last five or six years developing his own brand and be becoming his own person. Like, for a long time, it was like Christopher Nolan and his brother, who he yeah, works his brother with. helps him write. Whereas, where it's like now, you know, Jonathan Nolan uh, co-created uh, Person of Interest, the show that ran for five mm-hmm. years. He is a co-creator of Westworld, the show that's like just everywhere right now it, that everybody yeah, loves. Huge. He's co-written. Uh, Have you watched it? Westworld? I yeah. Have, I no. can't wait. It has two of our favorite people in the world in it. Yeah, it's saved now, so now I can go watch the whole okay, thing. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he is a co-writer. Uh, I mean, Memento is based on a short story that he wrote, mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, he co-wrote... Which, if you guys haven't seen Memento, that is one of the greatest, greatest movies and, like, mind fucks you'll yeah. ever see. Um, he co-wrote The Prestige, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, and Interstellar. Um, so that's pretty badass. He's definitely done some pretty big-time stuff. Um, he's a writer on this, Christopher Nolan, and David S. Goyer. Now, David S. Goyer, guys, is a pretty big name for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, he, going all the way back... To the late 80s. He graduated from USC. This is a great piece of trivia. He graduated from USC at 88, sold his first screenplay for Death Warrant. Death Warrant. Which is a Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Death Warrant. Uh, and then with his first paycheck, he bought a brand new Isuzu Trooper, which was stolen the very first night he drove it home. The fact that he did it off of a check from a Jean Claude movie makes the whole thing just like a com- it's like comedy out of a cartoon or something. And it's in Isuzu. Yeah. It's incredible, <laughs> the whole thing. I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. But he ended up being involved in the whole entire Blade trilogy as a mm-hmm. screenwriter, the whole Dark Knight trilogy. Dark City, which is known as like a major cult classic. Yeah, exactly. Man of Steel. Um, yeah, Dark City. He's a novelist. He's a comic book writer. He's written the story for Call of Duty Black Ops as well as the sequel. He's, he's a- just... He's a badass. Yeah, he's super, super, super involved in the comic book world. And now he's developing more things, and he is totally firmly in place as one of these comic book adaptation specialists. Absolutely. And one of my favorite things reading about him was when he saw his name come up at the end of Dark Knight, and he was like, I can't believe that my name is on a movie that good. Yeah. And he's written other good movies. Yeah, you know, totally. like, so, like Blade Trinity. <laughs> like Blade Trinity, one of my favorites, <laughs> Dark City. Uh, so moving on. Dark I mean, City, the trailer. Do, do you remember seeing the trailer for that movie as a little kid? Freaked me out. Scared the shit scared out the of me. shit out of me. <laughs> I was like creeped out by it. I, yeah. like, I got really scared. <laughs> I watched it this morning again. Horrible. Still pretty scary. Still creepy. It's yeah. just such a weird movie. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. I've never really? watched it. No. It's too scary for you. I just never wanted to. <laughs> I would, but I just haven't. I would. I'd be fine. I'd be fine. Uh all right. So should we should we talk about Chris a little bit more? Like, you know, like his starting at, at, the, at the... I can't even remember the name of the school in, I mean, in what, London. What we can say about Christopher Nolan is that at this point, he is quite arguably the biggest working director in the world. I mean, you can talk about the other biggest names, like the James Camerons of the world. The Inaritus now. Yeah, but at the end of the day, when you talk about getting a budget, making a film profitable, and doing it with an original idea, Interstellar is kind of the proof that, like... Chris Nolan can sort of just do what he wants and he it'll can, make money. Yeah, and he can he can do things he can portray things that you didn't know you could understand. And he did that in Interstellar with bringing in like that fourth dimension and yeah. like that time travel world, blah blah blah. And then he did it in Interstellar with just, I mean, excuse me in Inception, um, Inception with just bending the rules of, of reality. So I think he's the most innovative director of, of our generation. There was a conversation for a long time about Nolan versus Fincher and I think 
But I think Fitcher has done some pretty incredible stuff. Me he, too. He's definitely a well-respected director, but I think... You know what I think it is? Is I don't think it... Any, it never became which is better. Neither one ever won. It mm-hmm. just became they did different kinds of movies. Yeah, and I guess for me, Nolan hasn't done a bad film yet for me. Okay, I think Insomnia is pretty bad. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I like Insomnia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he hasn't done anything to where I'm just like, I, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. Whereas when I see a Nolan movie, I'm like, I can't wait to see it. You know, our buddy Matt, who was on Air Force One, our very first episode ever. Yeah. Uh, he's worked with Nolan. He says he's one of the coolest guys to work for. Like, not that he's an asshole. He's just he knows what he wants. And yeah. It better be perfect. He shows up early. He's on set. He works with only a single unit. And when he was doing Dunkirk with him, he's just like, yeah, the dude's a genius. Yeah. There's no way around it. So you know? cool. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to watch Dunkirk. Same. Um, yeah, so he he worked on Insomnia at the recommendation of Steven Soderbergh. Um, from there, he turned down working on Troy. Uh, he's, Good job. Yeah, I mean, he's a lot like he's just done a lot of stuff he's he's huge he's made tons and tons and tons and tons of money he continues to work with you know wally fister who's one of the greatest cinematographers of all time who also he got a he got an oscar nod for this film as well for uh, cinematography yeah the cinematography in this movie is amazing that scene when he jumps off the building it's just like yeah it's there's so much amazing just yeah the the the, the semi-truck flipping so cool it's just so crazy yeah um, so then moving on from there, uh, as we said, Dunkirk is the World War II film that he's working on now. Mm-hmm. That will be the next film. Uh, the producers on this film, Emma Thomas, who is his wife. Yep. Um, they met in college. Oh, there it is. U- University College of London. That yeah. Was my bad. Yeah, they, worked, they, they met in college. Uh, they've worked together for a long time, and she's been the producer on most of his movies um, and continues to, in fact, all of his movies. Oh, I guess she's credited on every single one. Yeah. Um, so, and then Charles Roven, who, Charles Roven's a very, very successful producer. He is the founder and president of Atlas Entertainment. Um, his, all the way back to like the early 90s, late 80s, uh, 12 Monkeys, Three Kings, Johnny Handsome, a bunch of movies that, and in different genres too, that people would recognize. But the big breakthrough for him is that Batman Begins, he did a great job with. Mm-hmm. He was then attached to all of the other films in this franchise, and now is an attached producer for every single DC Comics movie. <laughs> that's been made you're set brother yeah but there was a big controversy because of his overarching role with after batman versus superman kind of bombed against expectation a little Mm. bit and his it seems like his role has changed a little there was a lot of articles written about this at the time nothing was confirmed then but he's still involved and he's still credited as a producer on imdb but it seems like he's not as involved as he was got it yeah bvs was tough that's a really tough one uh real quick with the audience I love Blade 2. <laughs> it is my favorite Blade in the trilogy. I know Blade 1 sweet because people started talking about when we were talking about Blade. Blade is the best vamp- vampire movie ever. I like Blade 2 more. I like Blade 2 more as well. I like Blade 1 the best. Blade 2 is better, but Blade is my favorite. Anyway, so I think we could maybe cover Blade one day, but that's that's not a conversation for right now. We could definitely do Blade. <laughs> um. All right, moving on past production. Cool. I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, Charles Roven has made over $3 billion in adjusted domestic box office. That's a perfect segue into our next because this was the first comic book movie to ever make a billion dollars. This movie was released by Warner Brothers in July of 2008. I saw it at midnight. I'm pretty sure you did as well. Yep. Yep. It cost $185 million to make. It grossed domestically $533 million in its original run, and it had a re-release in 2012 where it made an additional $1.5 million. And I honestly think that that was just so that it could make a billion dollars. Because Probably. it was right under a billion dollars. That's uh, funny. Worldwide, 469 for a grand total of $1.005 billion. 
Uh, Which used to be impressive. It used to be. <laughs> yeah, it was one of four movies to ever make a billion dollars at the time. Uh, this movie, opening weekend, it made $158 million, which is the 10th highest of all time. And like I said earlier, it was the first comic book movie to ever make a billion dollars. It made as much movie as Batman Begin, or as, <laughs> it made as much money as Batman Begins did in five days. That's insane. insane. So we've talked about this a couple times, but let's just touch on it really quickly. So Batman Begins in 05 came out. Now, in 2005, um, we were both 17 years old. We were just about to graduate high school, yes, next and year. And I saw it in theaters uh, with my dad and my brother, and I remember thinking, A, a new Batman movie, but not like a new Batman movie I've been waiting for this, mm-hmm. like since the last Batman movie had come out, we had, we had turned into like almost a, like going into adulthood. Like we were like yeah. late teens. Uh, and when the, the previous one had come out, we were 10 years old. So this was kind of like, oh, I'm a grown up to some degree now and I appreciate things that are good quality, but there's a Batman movie. Yeah. I guess we should see it. I remember walking out of it thinking like, oh, it was a pretty good movie. Like that was cool. And I wasn't keyed into what was going on in Hollywood like I am now. So I didn't realize there was a trilogy planned and that they wanted to do three movies. And in retrospect, watching that movie, it's much better than I gave it credit for the first time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people argue that Batman Begins is the best movie in the whole trilogy. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that I think feels it's a more important film. I don't know if it's better or not. It's hard with Ledger and watching the whole thing again. But what I will say is I I think I walked out of that, and I, I don't remember perfectly, but I'm pretty sure I walked out just being like, yes, thank God. Batman's yeah. back. He's been my favorite superhero since I was a kid. Yeah. He's this is This is sweet, and it's kind of dark and badass, but... Who's this guy? Who's Raz Al Ghul? Where's a villain? Where's a real villain? I didn't read the comics, yeah, yeah, yeah. as no one really... Reading comics back then was nerdy, yeah. and it wasn't like it wasn't popular like it is now, and that, that's not why I didn't do it. I just wasn't a comic book kid. You know? Let's face it. You were a high school athlete. That's exactly the I reason you didn't. I was a theater nerd <laughs> who played football and played video games professionally, okay? I was pretty nerdy, but I didn't read comics, and so I was like kind of bummed. Yeah, there wasn't like the Joker, the Riddler, Two Face, Iceman, you know, Mister Freeze, um, Iceman, huh? Iceman, get out, get, get out, <laughs> the guy that shoots cold out of his gun, <laughs> the guy that shoots cold out of his gun. God, I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on to critical reception, uh, this movie guys a nine point oh on IMDb. It is number four all time. This is interesting to me because when Dark Knight came out, it was immediately number one. Yeah, and it stayed at number one for a while, and then Shawshank and Godfather passed it, and now it's down to number four, and it's been almost a decade. Me and my friends, when we saw it, we were like, "Eh, it'll drop. It'll drop way down. It'll drop down into twenties, maybe thirties to fifties. It hasn't dropped. And right. The votes keep going up. This will be known as one of the greatest movies of all time. I think I think you can definitely say it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, one thing that people don't talk about often is that when you go back to those lists, those like greatest all time lists. And in fact, Marissa, if we can actually throw this up here just while we talk for reference, uh, I pulled the, the top ten highest grossing superhero movies of all time uh, domestically. Uh, just it's an interesting statistic. This is number two, I believe, behind the Avengers. But um, when people talk about the greatest films of all time, I mean, the, like the AFI top one hundreds. They're all important, and they all have relevance, and some are newer than others, Mm -hmm. but it's not like they're all flawless. Oh, gotcha. They're not all flawless movies. They're not perfect movies. Mm -hmm. They're great for one reason or another. This is not a perfect movie. Far from it. It just happens to be so relevant, so important for so many reasons, and have this performance that pushes it over the top, which is, I think, why it should be remembered 
it's funny. It's like Inception's a great movie, but I would still argue on a list of all-time movies, this is significantly ahead because Definitely. Inception's a great movie. I think Inception's maybe a better movie. This is a far more relevant movie. Yeah, and it, and it just it sits with you. It has more gravity to it. Like when you watch Inception, it's sweet and it's fun. Yeah. When you watch this movie, it actually makes you think and feel things. And like the things that Joker says, and like so many of the lines in this movie are so great. Yeah. And they and I mean that speech about. <laughs> first of all, of course Alfred is traveling through Burma working with his friends because yeah. of course that's what Alfred does. Yeah. But even just that little story. The amount of detail and and yeah. like what that story says, the writing in this is perfect. Yeah, you know, it's great. Um, that being said, with what you're saying about how this is is a flawed movie, Shawshank, for instance, and The Godfather Part Two, it's pretty hard to argue that there's flaws in those movies. True. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we we have had the conversation. We don't need to have it again. No. It, it, IMDb Top 250 is a silly list. It's not. It does. It's not reflective of what the all-time greatest movies are. It doesn't take into account a lot of things. There's no way this is the fourth best movie ever made worldwide. That's an absurd thing to say. No, but if you have a film in the top 50 or the top 100, it's a, it's a fantastic. It's well film. loved, is the yes. point. Um, so it's it's reviews here. 94 percent by all critics, 92 percent by top critics, and 94 percent by audience. So. All 92 or higher. That's crazy. Yes. 9.0 on IMDb, which begs the question. I mean, this movie was nominated for eight Oscars, including cinematography, and it won Best Supporting Actor in Sound Editing. We Let's gotta, play a little game. we got to do it. We have to do it. Underrated, overrated, properly rated on the Batman Begins Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises trilogy. Yes. Completely standalone from everything. Underrated properly rated. I'm going to hop in immediately and say it's underrated. Fuck, I was going to say the same Were thing! You? Yes! Okay, uh, now I want you to go first because I want to hear why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> underrated, and here's why I say so. Um, this, every year that passes, Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises, they age in people's minds as, as irrelevant movies that they're not going to go back and watch. There's a lot of complaints about Christian Bale's performances in these movies. Yep. They don't like the Batman voice. Dark Knight, even today, on an episode from two guys that are obsessed with this movie... Um, I'm sitting here poking holes in the movie and talking about how it's 40 minutes too long. There's a lot of things about this movie I don't like. I'm saying that most of the success of this movie is attributed to Heath Ledger, which I do believe. Yep. However, these movies were made in a time and over a period of time, a different era. If if X-Men 1, the first Marvel successful superhero movie, ushered in Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, the Fantastic Four movies, the whole first run, you go back and you watch those movies... X2, for instance, was regarded as the best comic book movie for a long time. Yeah. It's a good movie. X-Men's not very good. X-Men 3 is terrible. Yes. Spider-Man's okay. Spider-Man 2 is pretty good. Spider-Man 3 is horrible. Fantastic yeah. 4s are unwatchable. Daredevil's unwatchable. Like, a different era of movies. If X2 was the cream of the crop during that time, all that happened yeah. in the next era was that the stakes were elevated, right? This this movie came out, Batman Begins, and this trilogy happened in a time when we didn't get a half dozen superhero movies a year. Guardians of the Galaxy is the kind of movie that can get a Best Picture nomination easily at the Oscars now. I mean, that's a thing that happens. Yeah. We're, we have tons and tons of these movies. There's, there's an entire sea of DC movies coming out over the next five years. There's so many... And people are willing to treat them seriously. That the the ones that come out now take Civil War, for instance, a movie that was very celebrated as being a great, great superhero. It was movie. a really good superhero movie, like really well done. Do you well understand, or do you guys hear that though? When Ben and I say that, it was a really great superhero movie. Superhero movie. Yeah. There's there's that that has to be thrown in there. Yeah. Because it's not a great movie. So all that happens over time 
there's a what have you done for me lately idea with when people rate pieces of media things that they love mm-hmm. and it's it's just a familiar it's a familiar familiarity thing younger audiences come in they watch the newer things they talk to older audiences if you're not somebody who's crazy and go back and goes back and watches things all the time all you have to remember are those conversations at the bar that when you're you're at dinner and your your brother's wife says i just saw such and such and that's the conversation starter People don't go back and watch movies like this. So what I think is that this trilogy, the longer that passes since, it's going to go down as less important than it should. It will be remembered less fondly than it should. And it will just be his performance really that sticks out. When I actually think when you envision a trilogy, Mm -hmm. you, you concept the whole thing from start to finish. All three movies are so much better than they will ever get credit for. Even Dark Absolutely. Knight Rises. Especially Dark Knight Rises. That is my point. That is like the main point of me even making this under underrated stance. Taking Making that argument is because, look, Batman Begins, I think, is underrated. And, and Dark Knight Rises is underrated because of how good the Dark Knight is. Yeah. Look, the performance by the Joker transcends all three films. I get that. But when Dark Knight Rises came out... You know, everybody was talking like this. Yeah. Everyone. Love it. Love it. For that. like two years, people were talking like this. Dark Knight came out eight years ago, and it's still one of those movies when people talk about it, it's like, oh my God, that, yeah, that movie. They talk about it like it came out a couple years ago. Yeah. This is going to go down as the greatest superhero trilogy ever made for the reasons of incredible acting and directing and writing. The casting is perfect, and even though Heath Ledger wasn't around for the third film, which who knows what it would have been like. Yeah. It would have been incredible. Tom Hardy did a fantastic job as Bane. So he good. took it, he owned it. He literally acts with just his eyes the whole film. You never see someone's how many times you never see someone's mouth move in a film yeah. and be able to feel everything just through their eyes, you know? So I think that this trilogy is underrated because everyone just thinks the Dark Knight Rises is the best thing that's about it and that's the only thing that'll be remembered. Whereas The Dark Knight you mean. Or yes, I'm sorry. The Dark Knight is that's the only thing that'll be remembered. Whereas Batman Begins, in my mind, is the best comic book movie ever made. That's crazy. But it, and 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 I and I argue that against Dark Knight because of the importance and the relevance and like again what you're talking about about what it did when Batman Begins came out. That was like okay, I can't make a superhero movie unless it's at least that good. Right. This will cue a question from. Uh, Eben, which is at e underscore dog underscore ninety five. The question here is: Would we have gotten the darker DC universe that we see today if we had never gotten the Dark Knight? The obvious answer to that question is no. Yeah. Um, it, it, you may have gotten you may have gotten successful films in the DCU, but you wouldn't get the dark version of the universe because look, let's be honest. Christopher Nolan's a producer on Man of Steel. He was a producer on Batman versus Superman, and he it's his voice that's involved in making that universe. Yep. Um, I just wish that he was directing all the movies instead of Zack Snyder. Exactly. And also, um, you know, when this movie came out and how dark it was, it's the same thing as when Deadpool came out and people didn't think it was... They weren't sure if it was going to hit or not and then they saw it and the audiences received it like overwhelmingly positive. It, of course, would have never been as dark because people would have been too scared to do it. Yeah, people... And people try to, you know, go darker and it's... Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, There's a difference between trying to be dark and it just being dark. Right. You know? 100%. Um, so let's uh, let's move on to the last bits of the show. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our next game here, which is going to be Favorite Line. This one's pretty self-explanatory. If you guys are fans of the show, you know all about Favorite Line. So uh, I'm going to jump in and I think I'm going to defy the odds here because my Favorite Line's not a Joker line. Um... I, is, it, is it Kane? What? Is it Kane? No. It's actually... I remember as, as I was watching this I time... I know what it is. 
as I was watching this time, I was noticing the initial interaction between when when Aaron Eckhart first meets Gordon and he walks into the office and he's like, I hear you've got a hell of a right cross and, yeah. and they start talking and he's like, I like their whole, it's just a tight interaction. He says like, I love that Eckhart doesn't even look at him for yeah. the first like 30 seconds. And he's like, he's like, Gordon, I don't like that you have your own unit. I don't like that it's filled with cops. I investigated when I was in internal affairs. And then Gordon says something and he's like, I don't get political points for being an idealist. I do have to do the best with what I have. That's my favorite line. That's because a good it's, line. It's just such a Gordon line. It's such a fucking like, he gets his role. He's the, he's the cop. He's not commissioner. He's just trying to do the best with what he has. And he knows the city's broken. And he... It's just great. I don't know. It's, it's just that interaction so quick and so tight. And the first time I watched it, I remember almost like I wished in the theater I could have rewound it because right. it's so quick. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That that line is, is, is overlooked a lot, but I do. I remember hearing it now that you say it. Gordon is the true white knight of Gotham. Yeah, you he know? is. He's the best. Uh, I mean, some men just want to watch the world, but yeah. it's one of my favorites. Yeah. I, that whole speech is just so cool because it. it what I love is that when they wrote this film and they talked about it in the production notes is that they didn't want to waste time on the Joker's backstory. They wanted him to be an absolute. Right. And that story is all you need for a backstory. So much is said in that. I love that. But my favorite line in the whole film comes from that same opening scene with the mobsters. And it's when (laughs) Spawn says, or uh, what's what's his real name? Michael Jai. Oh, Michael Jai White. White, yeah. When he goes, you crazy. Yeah. You know, he's like, that moment yeah. of Heath Ledger being like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Great. Like, yeah. the seriousness of it in that moment of like, you can do a lot of things, but you cannot call him crazy because he's yeah. not a yeah. crazy person. Like that, when he said that line and when I watched it yesterday, I just, I rewound it. Yeah. I've seen it a hundred times. I rewound it and I was just like, wow. His, yeah, he's got all these. Inc- I mean, there's there's so much we could talk about with his performance, but like the the incredible uh, intonation of his voice that he does, where he does the high thing when he goes to the low register, it's fucking terrifying, it's creepy. Like, yeah. look at me, yeah. like, oh my god, like you can see it in that actor's eyes because the actor didn't know what was going to happen in yeah. that scene. Heath Ledger filmed that on his own with him and directed it, but like he's terrified when he yells that at him. Yeah, it's really scary, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, th- so, last thing we move on here before we get into the last bit of the show. Um, Josh Ryan Sports asks, "Do you think this movie deserved a Best Picture nomination?" He does. Um, I think we have answered that with the way that we've talked about it today. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, a hundred percent. What won in two thousand eight uh, or for two thousand eight? No Country, I think. Wow, that sounds right. So either oh seven was No Country and oh eight was Hurt Locker. That might have been it. Yeah, I mean, if it's against either of those movies, honestly, it deserves a nomination. I don't think it beats either of them. Yeah. I love No Country, and I love The Hurt Locker. This is why I'm saying when I say, like, the number four on the on IMDb thing, I'm just like, it's not even a, it's not even in, like, the top 30, probably. Yeah, because neither of those two films are above it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's when you start getting into that rankings list, it's like, this movie's it's good. It's dangerous. And it's relevant, but it's relevant for a reason, and I don't think it pushes it. <laughs> the amount of hours you and I have debated that list is hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, we got one more quick, fun question from Andrew Mullen at MT Graps. On Twitter, it says, favorite piece of tech in the movie? It's actually MTG Raps. He's a Magic the Gathering fan. Oh, I'm so sorry. MTG. MTG <laughs> Raps. His name is MTG Raps. <laughs> I was like, is this a Raps? I was going to go with the Magic the Gathering, but yeah. then I saw Raps and I went with that. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> uh, favorite piece of tech. Do you have a favorite piece of tech in the movie? Uh, Yeah, it's the Bat Cycle. 
with a wheel spin. The wheel thing. It's it's when it comes out of the tumbler. I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. Uh, I think it's got it for me. It's got to be the the like explosive gun that he uses on top of the building. <laughs> or, yeah, the little sticky thing. Yeah, that yeah. thing. Or or the like or the like the squirrel suit that he flies with. Yeah, the plane thing yeah. is really sweet. Uh, both of those are sick. That seems outrageous. Like when you watch it again, it's it's still a jaw dropper for it's me. It's Masterful. It's just just jaw dropping. Yeah. I mean, it's just like what the fuck. Like that's and, and uh, the best part of it is the cop, the the, yeah. the head cop, just like well, I don't know what yeah. to do. <laughs> like what am I supposed to do? Uh, all right, moving on past that. That's all of our questions for the week, guys. Thank you so much for submitting all those. We can tell you we're very excited about the episode, as were we. Yeah, we so. missed a handful, and I'm sorry, guys. We will absolutely try to make sure to get you on the next one. Absolutely. Uh, but thank you so much for the ones we did. Um, it's been a lot of fun to do the the. Uh, AMA question of the week. It's, it's mm-hmm. been a nice addition to the show. So um, next, we will get into the three categories. And they, again, recently, I feel like this has been pretty easy for us. Yeah. Um, there are three action movie categories, categories, totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Movies like Face Off and Con Air are totally ridiculous. Movies like The Fugitive and Lone Survivor are um, totally legitimate. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> new new pull. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, movies in the middle category are sort of like our favorite ones, which are like The Rock and Point Break and Predator. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, without a doubt, this movie is totally legitimate. Though, I guess there could be an argument for the middle category if, if you were just... Because of the end? Yeah. Or... And if you were turned off by a lot of like the superhero-y kind of stuff, I could and see like that. that. Yeah. Rachel! Yeah. You know, things like that. Uh, I agree, though. I, I still think it's totally legit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, so, guys, we are going to uh, move on to the next category, and this is going to be something called The Pitch. Uh, so, guys, we like we said, we have this list of movies that we put together, and uh, so what we've been kind of changing it up in the last few weeks. Some weeks we've been doing the thing where we, uh, we you know, we ask people if, if you guys want to see X movie or Y movie. Sometimes we just pitch a movie, and I think this week we're going to open it up to a poll. Okay. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna post we're gonna post on the Twitter. Go follow us at AMA Podcast. We'll put up a poll for you guys to vote on next week's movie. Um, two awesome movies will come up, and uh, and if you want to decide on the movie we're gonna do next week, go to that Twitter in the next forty eight hours and vote on it. Um, thank you so much for watching, guys. If you want to follow along with either one of us, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on hey. Twitter and Instagram. And you guys can find me at Andrew Guy at those same two locations. And a big thank you to Marissa Serafini for engineering and producing this episode. Thank you, Marissa. You're welcome, gentlemen. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 